Welcome to the GeoMob podcast, where we discuss geo-innovation in any and all forms, be it for fun or profit. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the GeoMob podcast. Today, we have our first repeat guest here on the podcast. We're joined once again by Alan Mustard, who is chairperson of the OpenStreetMap Foundation board. A very popular episode when we had him on the show last summer. And today, we have some uh, new news. We're going to dissect the recent effort by the OpenStreetMap Foundation to survey the users and, and members of the OpenStreetMap community. So, Alan, welcome back to the show. Thank you. I, I should also quickly mention that I'm joined by Stephen, co-host Stephen Feldman. We thought this topic was so compelling that, that we both wanted to get our questions in. So we're doing kind of a double interview today. Stephen, how are you today? I'm doing well. Delighted that we do our first tripartite interview. Excellent. Well, let's let's get right into the meat of the matter then. Alan, tell us what the survey was and what the goal of it was and wh why did you do a survey? Well, this goes back to when uh, when I was first elected to the board and then elected chairperson of the board that one of the first things I've always done going into any sort of a, a new job is to ask people what they think uh, I need to know in order to make make everything a success. And so we started in 2020, a uh, little over a year ago, what I would refer to as a or would describe as a hybrid snowball sample and Delphi survey, where I went out, reached out to the community, starting with the board of directors and then uh, asking them not only the questions, what I needed to know to, to make OSM a success, but then saying, who else should I talk to? And this is the, the essence of snowball sampling. You just keep asking people, well, who else should I talk to who's knowledgeable about these issues? And the, the Delphi part of the, of the survey is that you're talking to people who are considered to be experts who are considered to be the most knowledgeable people uh, about the issues. And uh, I guess I talked to pretty close to 80 people in that effort and a number of issues surfaced, which of course the board discussed and I posted to, to my uh, OSM diary. And that led directly to the survey because the board began making some decisions based on what we had learned through this snowball slash Delphi survey. And the criticism was that we were out of touch with the community, that we really needed to uh, be making decisions that were in keeping with the community's desires and standards. And uh, there was also criticism of the board for making decisions, period. There was a segment of the community which maintained that the board only exists for purposes of fulfilling the requirements of Companies Act 2006, the, the English law under which we are incorporated. So the board decided, well, we actually need to go out and we need to ask the community uh, what the community thinks. So the survey was based in part on the questions that had surfaced during the snowball sample slash Delphi survey. And then also looking out to the future, some of the issues that were raised, uh, people who had suggested that perhaps the board should look at things like vector tiles. We should look at uh, the issue of artificial intelligence and machine learning. We decided to throw those questions in too and uh, put out the survey. So that was the genesis of the survey. And that was, in, in brief, that's the, the process that we used in developing. So, so who exactly chose the questions? It was you or it was oh, all the board? The board, the board did. The board. Oh, the board did collectively. You know, the board uh, communicates on internet relay chat. We have conversations practically every day, kicking around ideas and just throwing things at the wall. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? So I began 
drafting the survey, and then I would circulate it to other members of the board. They would come back either by email or over over IRC, criticize it. I mean, one the aspect of this board is that we are absolutely merciless with each other. If someone comes up with a bad idea, we're very quick to point out that it's a bad idea. So it evolved over a period of about two months, and uh, I was more or less the scribe for for the board putting it into Lyme survey. So, so maybe for the benefit of listeners who haven't followed the whole process, maybe very briefly, can you take us through the timeline? Because then the survey was sent out, but then how was it sent out and how, how did you try to generate response to the survey? And uh, I know a lot of work went into that. So, Well, we generated the, the questions more or less starting late summer, early fall began contemplating what kind of questions do we want to ask. It went through a number of iterations. And then by the end of December, we had pretty well settled on what we wanted the survey to look like. And we decided that we didn't want to release the survey until after uh, the board elections because we didn't want people to be overwhelmed with first being involved in in the election. And we had some other issues about the Articles of Association on, on the election as well. So rather than confuse people with both a survey and the elections, we said, okay, we're going to hold the elections. And then once that's over, we will release the survey. And so the survey went out January 16th. Lime Survey has a built-in system for releasing the survey. And we decided that rather than only poll the foundation, we wanted to poll the entire community. Now, the problem you have there is that under our privacy policy, we cannot use the email addresses that are in the database of mappers. The other issue there, of course, is that mappers are not the sum total of the OSM community. We have a number of other people in the community who contribute or use our data who are not mappers. And so we had to reach out beyond just the mapper community. And that meant that we had to advertise the survey uh, through OSM-centric media. And uh, that's what we did. uh, We put it out there. We went to the talk list. We went to social media. Uh, I was particularly active on Twitter. Uh, Other people use Slack, Facebook, various uh, other social media. We spread it out through direct emails to the working groups, asked them to propagate it farther, which they did. And uh, we ended up that we had over 4,000 token requests, of which somewhere well in excess of 3,000 actually responded, at least in part. If you look at the responses we got, we actually got a total of 3,286 responses, of which around 2,200 were complete, absolutely complete, including all the demographic data. So it, it was a large sample. And when it comes to the foundation, uh, it was approximately one third of the foundation membership. That okay, you should. I mean, you should mention a lot of work went, of course, into translating the survey as well. It was it was available in many different languages. Yeah, we did eighteen languages total. Uh, we translated it from English into seventeen other languages. Only one of them was a purely machine translation because we never found anybody to do the editing of Farsi. But all other languages were edited by, by native speakers, with the exception of Russian, which I did. I'm not a native speaker of Russian, but my Russian's good enough. I was able to, to edit that, that translation. Well, so maybe we should get into, into some of the results of the survey, although at some point I would, uh, or if you prefer, you know, some people kind of criticized, as, as is tradition in the OSM community, criticized some of the processes that, that were done. So, you know, we should give, give some space to that 
to those issues. But but maybe first let's let's dive into the you know what were the results in terms of you know you, you feel like the the number of respondents was was adequate and was represents well, the community. Well, it was more than adequate. It was more than adequate. It was overwhelming. I was hoping that in a in four weeks because we we opened it up for four weeks. I was hoping that in four weeks we would maybe get 1,100 responses, which is the number, that's the magic number when you do uh, statistical surveys. You want 1,100 respondents because that gets you over the bar of 95% confidence and a 3% error. This, of course, presumes that you have a, a perfectly random sample, which we know we don't have a perfectly random sample. But nevertheless, it's, it's kind of a magic number. And we got double that in terms of full responses with full demographic data. Uh, we had 1,100 token requests in about four days, and that absolutely blew me away. I looked at that and said, no, we're getting a tremendous response here. Any so, any groups you think were underrepresented in the response? or, or you Oh, feel- yeah, absolutely. We know that because we normalized the data against some of Jennings Anderson's data on who does mapping. He's got a great analysis of that. and We've posted a link to that on the uh, OSM Foundation website, so people can go to that website and and can see Jennings Anderson's analysis. So we know, for example, that Russia, Japan, Italy, and Indonesia are underrepresented in the survey, while the United States and the UK are slightly overrepresented. And that is based on uh, known mapping patterns. Okay. So yeah, we, we know that there are, there are some, some biases in there. However, when we measured against that, uh, the biases came out to a few hundredths of of a of a point. So, yes, there's some bias in there, but the bias is pretty small. Alan, from my understanding, there's been quite a big upsurge in the mapping community in Africa over the last few years. You know, I mean, we saw that when I was at Phosphagy in Dar es Salaam in 2018. And yet, if I'm reading the stats correctly, the representation of, of people identifying as being African is pretty pretty small. Yeah, that's right. It was relatively small. I, I mean, I've no doubt there are a lot of African mappers, Stephen. But does that you know is it proportionally is it in proportion to the number of non-African mappers? Yeah, I, I, mean, I get what you're saying. I get. What I mean, broad terms, yes. The response to the survey was proportionate to the number of mappers in in Africa okay. to the mapping okay. activity of. There, there, of course, are some where it's more and some where it's less. But in general, yes, uh, we got a pretty good response from Africa. Uh, I should point out, we, w- the data that we published are anonymized, which means that any group that had fewer than 20 observations was clustered with another group so that you had at least 20 observations. And that way, people's responses could be essentially buried. You couldn't look at the data and say, oh, I know who answered that question because that is the lone female in this demographic group in this country. So I know how she answered that question. So we had to hide people through this process of anonymization. And we had sufficient responses from Africa that although all African countries were grouped, we were able to split it into two groups, which was Anglophone Africa and then Romanophone Africa, which is a combination of Francophone and Lusophone Africa, because we had Angola in there. So we tried to break out the data as much as, as we could while still preserving privacy and anonymity of the respondents. 
Okay. Okay. So, so what do we learn? What are the key takeaways from the survey? What are what? Well, I think the, the message. I think there are three big meta meta takeaways, and then we can delve into details to the degree that you want. But the the first big meta takeaway, uh, based on the feedback questions, and we asked five feedback questions on board decisions made in 2020, and that was that the, the community approves of the board making decisions. Uh, this was a controversial issue, as you may remember, about a year ago when the board began making decisions because there is a faction in the community that, uh, as I said, maintains that the board should make no decisions, that the board exists only for fulfillment of the requirements of Companies Act 2006. So when we began making decisions, there was a lot of criticism in some of the talk lists and the blogosphere uh, of just simply the fact that the board was was making decisions. The most controversial, if you can call it that, decision got an approval of 62.5%, as I recall. Excuse me, 63.6% of respondents approved of of the board decision to uh, create the uh, Diversity and Inclusion Special Committee. Uh, That was the least popular decision, and yet it was well in the majority range of of either approval or strong approval. So the second big takeaway was that platform stability is by far the top priority in the community. Uh, That really got more, uh, a higher score, and and, and in fact, its aggregate score, uh, if you did a board ranking of, of those issues, it was the, had as many points as all the other responses put together, basically. Third big takeaway is that we have a gender problem. Only 8% of the respondents were women, 89% were men, and then 3% were either non-binary or other. So we do have a gender problem, and that came out uh, loud and clear, not only in the demographic data, but when we parsed the differences between women's responses to certain questions versus men's responses, we could see a statistically significant difference in their attitudes. And that was particularly the case on the um, the approval of the board's decision to create a diversity and inclusion group. Yeah, wasn't it? Yes. That um, significantly less men approved of that than they did of all the other board initiatives. Uh, yeah. Whereas amongst women, their approval was pretty much consistent across the board. Yeah, that was uh, that was an interesting thing, and because that was the you know in in quotation marks the quote most controversial unquote issue that that we floated, I did a fairly deep dive into that, and and I looked at the difference between mean responses both geographically and across certain demographic groups. So, men approved of that with a, a mean score of three point eight five, which is still in the approval range, three being neutral and four being approved. Uh, it, it bumps up against approve, but women had a mean score of 4.17 over the top in terms of approval and, and leaning in the direction of strong approval. So I then did another dive because the the largest country demographic, of course, was the Germans. So I decided to look at German men and German women. The problem I ran into immediately was that there were not enough German women uh, in the survey to uh, reach statistical significance. So I merged French and German women and French and German men still could not reach statistical significance because N was equal to 20. There were only 20 French and German women in the survey. So I finally decided to do all EU and that got me to the point of statistical significance. 
we had 43 respondents among EU women. The interesting thing was that the, the differences between men and women were very consistent across all three groups, French and German women, German women, and then EU women, difference of about a half a point approximately. And that is, again, a very strong indicator that even within a, shall we say, a socioeconomically cohesive demographic group, which is the EU uh, or France and Germany or just Germany, uh, there is a strong divergence between the attitudes of women and the attitudes of men. Do you think that had anything to do with the timing of the survey? There was quite a lot of activity on the mailing lists about diversity issues a couple of months back, and the survey came, I think, just a little bit after that. I can't say. I don't know that it had. I don't know that 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 had an impact on the thinking of either men or women. I think that the issue has been on the minds of a lot of the women in the community for a long time. And I base that on, again, going back to my conversations a year ago during the hybrid Snowball Delphi survey in talking to women in the community, including two women who have left, basically, who have gotten out of the OSM space, but who were recommended to me as people I should talk to. They said in part they left because of, of a level of toxicity that simply made it unattractive for them to remain in the OSM community. So I think that issue's been out there for a while. Uh, it, it's not new. And, and yes, maybe there was a slight bump up in response rate uh, because it was a current topic. But I don't think that that was the underlying cause. Okay. Well, maybe this is a point to bring up one one of the criticisms I saw of the process, which which I think was, at least in, in my kind of sphere, was widely shared, is that many of the questions felt somewhat non-fine-grained. And so like if you say, do you agree with the board's decision to, you know, put forward this initiative on diversity? So if I say no to that, it could be because I'm against diversity or it could be because I'm against, I'm pro-diversity, but against the board's specific solution. Yeah. And, well, but the one problem is many people are now interpreting it as like, oh, well, you're against diversity. Not sure. You know, you know what I mean? Like there, there's not... Uh, one criticism I saw is that the, the questions didn't uh, didn't necessarily allow for nuance in the answer. Surveys, as a general rule, don't allow you to get into levels of nuance. And I think part of the criticism is because there were people in the community who were a little bit uh, engaging in some overthinking of of the questions. The questions were formulated to answer questions that the board was asking, not to ask answer questions that the community was asking. And I think that needs to be borne firmly in mind. The board made these decisions in 2020 and then was subjected to criticism for having made those decisions. And uh, we had some critics who said that the board was completely out of touch with the community in making these decisions. So the board said, okay, maybe those critics are right. Maybe we are out of touch with the community. Let's go back and ask the community if it agrees with the decisions that we made. It really was that simple. It really was that straightforward. We were not trying to seek some sort of nuance. I mean, one criticism that came my way in an email was a fellow who said, uh, you're asking me to say that I approve of the results of the LCCWG, the Local Chapters and Communities Working Group, and they haven't even issued their, uh, their uh, recommendation yet. How can I do that? And he was missing the point. We were not asking for anybody to pre-approve of a decision that had not been made. 
we were asking them to approve or disapprove, express disapproval of a decision the board had already made. We, we made this decision. Should we have made this decision? And the answer was uh, not overwhelming, but uh, certainly well into the positive range of, of saying, yes, the a majority of the strong majority of, of the community approved of the decision. Well, that, that's we certainly do something about it. Yeah, that's certainly fair enough. I, I I think then maybe the mistake I saw many people interpret it as a survey on what the future direction holds rather than a commentary on decisions that have already been made. Yeah, well, I mean, I thought we tried to make that very clear that, that we're asking you questions about decisions the board has made. Do you approve the board's decision on this? And it's a completely different issue as to what, what the local chapters and communities working group comes up with. We're going to get an interim report from, from that committee this month they'll, at the next board meeting. They'll come through with, uh, with an interim report. Here's what we're coming up with. Here's what we want to do. And uh, we'll proceed from there. So. Any any surprises in the results? Any things that you you weren't expecting? Yeah, I, as I as I said, the, the the first big surprise was the response rate. As I said, I was hoping for eleven hundred responses over a period of four weeks, and we got that in about four days. At least token requests in four days. And I think one other surprise was the the low attention to attribution when when we put out the question of what what priorities should the board focus on in twenty twenty one. I really thought attribution was going to be up there because of the amount of attention it gets in the talk list and, and in social media. And it, it ranked close to the bottom, just above Brexit in most, most demographics. So uh, that was a bit of, of a surprise. The response rate, I think, from outside Europe was gratifying. I don't know that it was a surprise because we worked really hard on getting lots of languages out there so that there would not be a language barrier. Uh, that was insurmountable. Uh, we worked very hard in getting out in social media and trying to get uh, the various polyglots in the community to propagate the word. But that was gratifying. I don't know that it was a surprise, but uh, certainly the geographic spread of 121 countries, that was a little bit of a surprise. It was better than we expected. Well, you got a good, good reminder of just how global the community is. So uh, what maybe you can take us through that list quickly of, of what the survey produced in terms of things the board should work on going forward. What were the, what you say attribution was low on the list. What was, what was at the top or can you run us through the list? Yeah. Well, the, the, the top is stability of the core infrastructure. We did what's called a border ranking where you, you take, basically you take a slice of each question. And when you look at each question, you say, all right, seven points are assigned to uh, this question when it is the, the first choice of, of somebody and you assign six points if it's the second choice and so on down down the rank. Uh, stability of core infrastructure scored 11,249 points. The next highest was takeover protection with 4,004. So uh, just slightly over one third of what stability got. Uh, outreach was 2,093, which was approximately half of takeover protection. So you can see there's a, a severe drop off between one and two and three. Next was fundraising. Uh, fifth was attribution guidelines. Next to last was recruitment for working groups. And then the very last, of course, was Brexit with 287 votes or, or score points. It was basically the bottom of the pile for almost everybody. So those are the, uh, those are the numbers. Again, stability of the core infrastructure was a very clear winner on, on the, the, in terms of the priority 
of what the board of directors should focus on in 2021. So, so is that the plan now going forward? Uh, as as a board, you'll you'll be kind of driven by these priorities, or? Well, uh, to some degree, of course. Uh, obviously, the the board listens to the community, and if the community says that stability of the core infrastructure is something we should focus on, we already were focusing on it. This is, uh, if anything, just given us a bit more impetus to to continue to focus on that. I think it's going to give us more impetus to focus on takeover protection. That's something that we also had a vote in the AGM, uh, the uh, annual general meeting last fall. So uh, we have a clear mandate both from the uh, the AGM and from this poll to, uh, to, to, to work on takeover protection. Brexit, we are going to continue to work on. We have to because even though a lot of people didn't understand why that question was there, because the foundation is incorporated in England, and now that the UK is no longer in the EU, we have some intellectual property issues that we have to deal with. They're very legalistic. They're, they're an enormous headache. And so we are going to have to grapple with that. And we haven't yet decided what, what our strategy is going to be. So uh, even though that's the bottom priority for the, for the community, it's an issue that we cannot ignore. We are going to have to deal with that. Okay. So... I was, I'm looking at these same stats at the moment, Alan, and it's interesting that there's a little bit of a difference between the mappers and the overall numbers. Stability Which, of the core yeah. infrastructure is still top of the list and takeover protection is second, but takeover protection rises up in terms of its relationship. You know, it's significantly higher up in second place than it is overall and similarly fundraising gets almost the same mm -hmm. ranking yeah. as takeover protection which just indicates that there's a slight difference between the osmf members mm -hmm. and the more general community of mappers have you yeah. got any observations on that yeah i mean we've we've parsed that we've looked at that there were some there were some differences once you got past stability of of the core infrastructure there were some differences in we also took a look, for example, at what the old timers of the project looked at in terms of priorities, people who'd been in the project for more than 15 years. They numbered, I believe, 43. Again, you see some minor differences uh, of opinion as to what the tertiary and quaternary priorities should be, but nothing really earth-shaking. So yeah, we, we look at that, we take that into account, but uh, quite frankly, those are all issues that the board will be working on. Um, it, it's maybe a matter of degree, but again, the indication to me is that our major takeaway was that people are not nearly as worried about attribution guidelines as, as we thought they were. And most people don't seem to understand why Brexit is an issue. Those okay. were the two big takeaways, quite frankly. Okay. So looking back on the whole process. Hold on, hold on. I want to ask Alan about artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. Okay. If that's okay. Because you asked a question about artificial intelligence, yeah. and I was quite surprised at the outcome of that. Why were you? What, what surprised you? Well, if we look at all responses, the option that got the most favoritism was to continue to take no position. Mm -hmm. And given the sort of frequency with which you hear the debate about should we allow AI and bulk imports into the project, I thought there would be more people 
wanting a position one way or the other. If you talk about, it's actually interesting to me that, um, and I was surprised a little bit that the second most popular item on that list was a policy approving artificial intelligence and machine learning tools, but only if the local community agrees, which to me seems a really sensible um, way to move forward. And that was clearly in front of blanket approval of AI or a ban on AI. So I guess... Well, if, if you group those two, either continue to take no position or approve, but only if the local communities agree, those two combined to come up to 69%. That's over yeah. two thirds of the respondents. And that was a clear message to the board that the board should stay out of it and the foundation should stay out of it and leave it to the local communities, which is what we were, that was frankly, what we were trying to divine with this question was what, what do people want the board to do? Because again, this survey was done to inform the board, not to inform anybody else, to tell us what the community wants us to do. So the, this was a clear signal from the community that, that doesn't really want the board to do anything. So even even though there were some who said, yeah, the board can do an approval, but you have to leave AI and machine learning to the local communities. So we got that clear signal that we were looking for. And quite frankly, that means that uh, the the board will, will probably take no action on artificial intelligence or machine learning. Uh, it was not a surprise to us only because we had no preconceived notion. We really did not know for sure where the community was going to fall on this. So uh, in that respect, it was it was a very valuable question for the board. Cool. So looking back on the whole process, on any, any regrets about how it went or any changes you would make if, if there's another survey in the future and... and uh... Will there be another survey in the future? Will this become an annual thing, or what are your thoughts, sir? Well, I asked to answer the the, the third, the last question first. Uh, I don't know if it'll be an annual thing. Uh, obviously, we we had, I think, a good experience with this. We got some very valuable feedback on past decisions, and we got some uh, fairly good information on where the community wants the board to focus in the future. So will it become an annual thing? I don't know. This is not the only survey that the foundation does. The, the local, well, the working groups, the working groups also conduct surveys using Lyme survey. So we, we kind of have to avoid what's called survey fatigue. If we were to run surveys continuously, you would find participation dropping off. You would find that uh, you, you run into sampling bias uh, to, to a much stronger degree than, than we already experience. So I think we have to take a hard look at the how much information we need versus uh, the degree to which we don't want to really turn off the, the community from answering questions that we would like to ask. And in terms of any regrets, when you put together a survey, you always face trade-offs because on the one hand, you have lots of questions that you would like to ask. But on the other hand, you know that if you make the survey an hour long, the majority of people will not finish it. They'll go in, they'll get started, and they just say, oh, I don't have time for this. I want to go drink a cup of coffee or, or eat a donut or something, and they just give up. And we saw evidence of that in this, in that we had over 4,000 token requests. 800 of those tokens either didn't get used or only got used on the first page, and then the respondent bailed out, didn't answer the questions. Anecdotally, we know why some of them bailed out. I got emails from you know, one guy was, was that the length of the survey or there were technical issues or what, what was the problem? No, it wasn't technical issues. It was, if I can find it here, I, I 
actually printed out an email from a guy who basically said he, he looked at the questions and he said they're not a broad community interest. Uh, they're technical questions uh, that I don't know the answers to, so I'm bailing out. So, you know, we you you have to balance the questions you want to ask versus the amount of time commitment you're asking people to make. Right. And and so I really don't have regrets about it because we got a better result than we expected to get. We got more responses and more complete responses than we expected to get. Uh, so that's that's a very positive thing. Are there questions we would have liked to have asked? Yeah, there are questions we would have liked to have asked, but we got the most important ones out there. And from what I'm looking at, you've got over 3,000 responses. They substantially validated the level of activity that the board has been undertaking in the last year. They gave some fairly useful guidance on some priorities for the future. I would say that's a phenomenal success. And compared to the very small amount of traffic that you see on the foundation list, for example, which is probably 50 people occupying most of the space on that list. This is an incredibly wide span of opinion, you know, and I think the board are to be praised for doing it. And I hope you do do it again in a couple of years' time. Well, we'll see. We'll see what, what future boards want to do and what questions they want to ask. I think I think one of the reasons we got uh, the broad responses we got was because we did put it into 18 languages. We did not run into the language uh, barrier that uh, some previous surveys have, have encountered. And uh, again, looking at at just the numbers and then looking at the normalization, contrasting the means of some of the answers across demographic groups, uh, I, I think I think that uh, it's a fairly representative sample of the community at large. Great. Well, well, yeah. Let's let's uh, we've been we've been talking for a while, so we should kind of wrap things up. But let me echo Stephen's uh, comment and say congrats to the board for um, for getting this out there, and and of course, big thanks to everyone who spread the message and the translators and things like that. So, any oh, absolutely any final thoughts you'd like to share with the listeners Alan, about about the process or about the year ahead for the OSMF board in general or anything else? Well, we're I think the board is is going to go forward with a bit more confidence that it does have the backing of the community to make decisions that are necessary to ensure the continued success of the project. The, the project is phenomenally successful. We just had our one, 100 millionth change set, celebrated that. And the fact that it was uh, a mapper down in, in Africa who has uh, been very active in the OSM community personally, I think is an indication of, of where the project is heading. Uh, it's, it's a good omen. So we're growing. One other demographic I would like to point out, if if we have just a minute, and uh, if there's a, we did a we did a demographic study of how long people have been in the in the involved in OSM, and it's it's a very encouraging thing. Uh, Forty six people responded that they've been in the project for longer than fifteen years. Five hundred ninety three between ten and fifteen years. Eight hundred fourteen five to ten years and 1,020 uh, from one to five years. In other words, you see this upward slope as you get into people who have been in the OSM project for less time. In other words, we have a very strong demographic pyramid of, of we're attracting new people to the project, uh, we're growing, we're spreading ge geographically into new parts of the world where we've not been present, 
again, 121 countries responded to uh, to the survey that we know of that provided demographic data. This is all very encouraging. So the survey, I think, has has also shed light on the demographics in a way that hadn't been done before, and that's very, very encouraging. What we see is is really good news. I agree. I agree that OpenStreetMap is an amazing success, and congrats to all of us for uh, for the good work. But you forgot the most important or most impressive part about the the hundred millionth change set is if you look at that location on Google Maps, it's completely empty. Yeah. So I think we can all be proud there. Indeed. Very nice, Alan. Thanks again for coming on the show. How can people get in touch with you if they have some questions or want to follow up? Or my uh, OSM Foundation email is on the OSM Foundation website, osmfoundation.org. Just go to osmfoundation.org, look at board of directors, and uh, you can find me there. Excellent. Thanks very much. Thanks a lot, Alan. Great talking to you. Bye. Bye. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today and listening to the GMOP podcast. Hopefully, you've enjoyed the discussion. Please don't hesitate if you have any feedback for us or any suggestions for topics that we should cover in the future. You can get the show notes over on the website, which is at thegeomob.com. While you're there, if you're not yet on the mailing list, please do get on the mailing list where we once a month send out an email announcing future events, summarizing past events, and just generally sharing uh, events that you may find of interest. You can also, of course, follow us on Twitter, where our handle is geomob. You can follow Steven at Steven Feldman. You can follow me at Fryfogel. You can check out Mappery at mappery.org. And of course, if you need any geocoding, please check out my service, which is opencagedata.com. We look forward to you joining us again at a future episode and, of course, seeing you at a future GeoMop event. Hope to see you there soon. Bye.